Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. My question to lead off the day is, when was the last time you were frustrated in traffic? Does anything come to mind? A lot of things come to mind for me. Maybe you found yourself in a busy construction zone over the holiday travels. Um, that can be a frustrating situation. I mean, at any point in time, have you ever been in a hurry to get somewhere and inevitably find yourself behind somebody's sweet grandmother? Not in a hurry at all. Uh, and that can be frustrating. Uh, we've all been in frustrating traffic situations. I don't know what your driving style is, uh, but I simply can't help but imagine every time I strap into the driver's seat of my standard SUV that I'm a NASCAR driver because I'm a NASCAR fan. Uh, and so I'm drafting down Poe to get better, better gas mileage. I-75 is super fun because there's more opportunity for like three wide passes and bobbing. It's a problem. But the last couple of years, as a NASCAR fan, something that's been really interesting to watch is when you think of NASCAR, you think, turn left, turn left, turn left. That's the thing I always hear all the time. How do you watch them just turn left all the time? Well, in the last couple of years, they've made a, a substantial increase of adding what are called road courses to the schedule. So it's not just ovals anymore. They've been adding a lot more road courses, which have a lot of left turns and right turns. Really exciting. Um, but what's fun is that these are like heavy stock cars, and the courses that they go to are like designed for these light, you think of like a Formula One or an Indy car, they're designed to bob and weave, and they're trying to get these big bulky cars to do the same thing, and it's fun to watch. Um, and so that's happening. They've even gone as far as uh, transitioning some traditional oval tracks into road courses. So here we have, this is the Charlotte Roval, because road courses and ovals make one word now, Roval, um, where they're literally on both parts of the track. For part of it, they're on the, the oval part, and then they go into the infield, and there's like twists and turns in there as well. It's super interesting, um, and it's grown my love for, for road course racing. It's kind of fun. At the same time, I don't know if you've noticed, but standard intersections are slowly transitioning one by one into something like this. We now have three or four of them, I think, in, in Bowling Green. Roundabouts are becoming more prevalent, and uh, I see a roundabout, and my brain goes, road course. <laughs> so I get really excited. I come up on it, and I get really excited because all I see is this tight turn of a road course. I'm ready to make it real fast and exciting. But inevitably, that sweet grandmother from earlier <laughs> is also coming up on the, on, the, uh, on the roundabout, and she's not sure what to do, and I'm frustrated. <laughs> I'm instantly frustrated, because my little game has been interrupted, and uh, it's a problem, it's a problem. The roundabouts aren't actually all that new, um, but you're not imagining things. They are way more prevalent now than they have been in the past. I think in the, in the late 90s, um, there was like, a little over 100 in the US, there's now over 13,000 today. And so they are becoming more, more prevalent. Um, 
They're supposed to be more efficient because literally you're not crossing oncoming lanes of traffic. Uh, they're safer um, for, that, for that reason. There's a lot of reasons for roundabouts. And obviously this is funny that when I come up on one, I'm excited and inevitably bumping into people who aren't sure what it is. Um, I don't bring it up because I'm proud of that. <laughs> um, it's actually a reminder to me that my life's not always about me. <laughs> and, and when I'm forced into this moment of interruption, it kind of breaks me out of, out of that sort of mindset. But whether you're an ambitious driver like me or not, we all know what it's like to be interrupted. Whatever you're doing, when an interruption comes, we all know what that feels like. People in front of you at the grocery store. <sighs> interruption. Can we just, it, it's not that hard. You scan the thing and you go. We know what that feels like. The coworker who has a question for you right as you're about to start something. Ugh. Yes, interruption. The family member who drops by your home unannounced. I don't know what your plan was, but now you have different plans. The stranger who strikes up a conversation with you at the airport right as you open that book. Ugh. Interruption. And I can go on and on. We all know what this feels like. And what's my point? Interruptions for all of us, more often than not, cause us to be annoyed or frustrated. Ugh, why do we have to stop? But when you look at the ministry of Jesus, who of all people had a lot of important things to do, he was interrupted all the time, all the time. It's all over scripture. In fact, the, the, the book of Mark, the first part of the book of Mark in the Gospels, is just interruption after interruption after interruption in his ministry. Mark chapter 1, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, and a man who's demon-possessed, as he's teaching, pipes up, interrupts the teaching. Jesus heals the man. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching in a home, and he's teaching, and there's lots of people all over the place, and then these four yahoos dig through the roof while he's teaching, and he heals that man and forgives him. Mark 6, after getting tragic news of his friend and his cousin's uh, tragic death, Jesus is um, seeking solitude with his disciples to kind of process the news, and ultimately the crowd finds him and interrupts that solitude. Here's Mark 6.34 and his response to that situation. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. And eventually, that crowd of about 5,000 gets hungry. And we know how that story goes too. In that same run in Mark of interruption after interruption after interruption, there's none more dramatic, uh, I think, than when his robe gets tugged on the way to save someone who's dying. And so what I hope we'll begin to see as we read that story together is a, is a pattern and a posture of Jesus that we can apply to our own interruptions of life as well. So read with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd 
gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived, and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come, lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. In the crowd, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years spent everything she had to pay them but had gotten no better, and in fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. She thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed from this terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around. Jesus stopped. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. And the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came, fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Did you see how Jesus responds to the interruption? Jesus is interrupted, but instead of responding with frustration, he responds with compassion, just like in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is on his way to do something really important. And it's urgent. The text says that this man's daughter is dying. And there's only one solution, and it's Jesus, but only if he can get there. So time is critical. The scripture also says that there's not just a few people around. There's a large crowd of people making that journey harder. Bumper to bumper, if you will. And you can almost feel the angst in the disciples who are like, God, come on, maybe would be honking their horns if they were in vehicles. And then Jesus stops in the middle of all of it. He stops and asks, who touched my robe? And the disciples, do you see the crowd? The disciples are very confused. How can you ask that? There's no possible way we could know who touched your robe. They're frustrated. They're frustrated because all they can see is obstacles in their way. But like, a breath of fresh air, Jesus stops, not in frustration, but with eyes of compassion. And he's looking not at obstacles, but faces. He sees faces. And eventually he sees the face, the trembling face of a daughter of the Most High, worthy of Jesus' time. Their eyes lock, and the woman experiences not just the healing, but the holy attentiveness of Jesus. It's beautiful. But we often find ourselves a little more like the disciples. We're anxious, we're hurried, dismissive, frustrated, flustered, annoyed. When interruptions come our way, we see only our agenda, our goals, and everyone else is just a little bit in the way. 
Earlier, I had mentioned the example of family coming up, coming unannounced to your home. And this actually happened to Jenny and I a couple of uh, weeks ago, and nothing annoyed there necessarily, because if anything, we're usually the ones showing up unannounced at people's homes. So, totally fair. But in this instant, it was a normal Saturday morning, just a lazy Saturday morning. We weren't expecting company. We just weren't. When my wife gets a phone call, and it's her sister, who had been traveling somewhere else. She was already on the road, and then her plans got canceled. And it just so happened that she was in town. So she gets the phone call and says, hey, what do you think about having a visitor? Because I'm in your driveway. (laughs) And my eyes, as Jenny tells me this, immediately begin to scan my living room, the kitchen counter, and I see toys and dishes and a mess, and my heart rate goes up a little bit, my shoulders elevate, and Jenny says, yeah, come on in. (laughs) My two-year-old Emmett screeches at the delight of seeing his two cousins walk through the door, and they run off to the back bedroom to play, and I can't help myself. I immediately stand up, and as much as I despise doing dishes, I'm doing dishes, and I don't know why, and there's conversation happening, and I'm cleaning this, and oh, this needs to go over here, and oh boy, those blocks need to be, and I just, I'm going and going and going. What if I lit a candle? It could smell better in here. (laughs) And then I notice my wife, who hasn't moved off the couch. And I'm actually not annoyed, but it catches me off guard because the first thing I did was I went to the bedroom. I don't know what I was wearing, but I changed into something else. (laughs) I'm just... But I noticed her sitting on the couch, still in the same thing she wore to sleep in that night, messy hair, cozy with a blanket, like she's comfortable. I can't stand still and Jesus, or and, oh boy, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny is motionless on the couch. I can't stand still and she's paused. She's paused, still and cozy. And I notice this juxtaposition of, of my franticness and her motionlessness. And I recognize in the moment she's right. She's doing the more beautiful thing in the room, in the house that day. And so I stop. I stop what I'm doing. I come sit down because I realize that her sister came to see us. She didn't come to see the next front cover of Better Homes and Magazines. She came to see us. So I stop and I join the more beautiful thing happening in my living room. And then within days of this happening, I kid you not, I'm reading a book called Habits of the Household. And in a chapter about having other people over for dinner at your home, um, the author makes this declaration that just cut right to my heart. He acknowledges the challenges of saying yes to having people over. And then he says this. He says, hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality is simply opening the door. Hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality is opening the door. Entertainment, he continues, is when we clean up, when we make things nice. And at best, 
We're doing something good because we're honoring our guests with an experience of comfort or beauty. And at worst, we're honoring ourselves by showing off. And I went, ugh. Hospitality is simply opening the door, welcoming somebody into the mess, inviting someone into the chaos because that's real life. So I read this, my jaw drops, and I'm instantly back at the kitchen sink, scrubbing dishes in my head, watching my cozy pajama-wearing wife, laughing with her sister. And I don't know how you would have responded in this scenario. Maybe your house is much tidier than mine on a lazy Saturday morning. Uh, Maybe you don't care. But I do know that each of us struggles to some degree to to let others in when we're not expecting them. And it applies to more than just our homes. If hospitality is just simply opening the door to let someone in, where else in our life are we refusing to stop and let people in? It can be anywhere. We think hospitality and we think of our home. That's the most common place where hospitality happens. But we're all tempted to to keep people at arm's length in our lives. Whether we're presenting a polished version of ourselves on social media, at the office, doesn't matter where. Maybe we're just coasting our way through life, looking for the next show to watch, getaway. It's all focused on us, and we're keeping people away. We keep people just far enough away because we're focused on us, and occasionally an interruption comes and stops us in the middle of whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is that we're looking forward to it, and we're just annoyed. And that's why I bring up my road course roundabout fantasies, because in, in my, only, my own little world, it's all just a game. It's all about me my fun or my efficiency, whatever the case may be. And then when I'm stopped, I'm reminded this life isn't just about me. I'm not the only one in this roundabout. Am I open to the idea that maybe they're someone's friend? What are they up to? Where are they going? Are they having a good day? I don't know. But they're not just another NASCAR driver. And while we're probably not, me and whoever it is, we're probably not going to form some lifelong friendship there going around the roundabout or something, do I need to be a source of frustration for their day by laying on a horn? No. What is it for you? That's me. What is it for you? Where do you find yourself frustrated or annoyed or flustered by unexpected stops? and interruptions in your day. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of your own or your real life. The truth is, of course, that what you call the interruptions are precisely your real life. And it's the, God, the life God is sending you day by day. 
Are you open to the truth that your storyline, your expectations for your day, isn't the only story happening around you at any given moment? Maybe the divine author wants to write in an intersection between your story and someone else's. Will he find us ready, or will we reject it? Because interruption is an invitation. Interruption is an invitation, an invitation for us to allow someone else to enter, to open the door, let them in, and maybe show the compassionate hospitality of our Savior. Did you know that every Sunday there is a team of volunteers who show up early to church? Early to church, and and they're preparing their hearts in prayer to be ready and open to these sorts of God encounters, God-ordained encounters. We call them, of course, simply they're the hospitality team. That's what they are. Because while it's, this is not a home, God's people are here. And we are to reflect his hospitality to those who show up, especially those who are coming looking for it. And today's no different from the, the Detmers who are greeting at the front door to the Schaefers who are providing us coffee, Vicki Schuler's at the info center ready at any moment for you to ask a question, to take a next step of faith at the info center. Rock on. And while each position of the team has different tasks, they do different things, they're actually all doing the same thing. And that's why we group them all together in the, in the hospitality team. They're all doing the same thing every Sunday, asking, who's God sending our way? Who might I interact with? And God, would you help me to receive them well where I am? It's not about the task. I tell this all the time to to our volunteers. Take coffee, for example, if it were about the coffee. And Lord knows I love my coffee. If it were about the coffee, it would be a whole lot easier to simply order a bunch of those cardboard carafes of Panera and just set them all out. Cleanup would be a lot easier. We'd be done with it. If it were about the front door, if our greeters at the front door were, were simply about the door being open for you to walk through, have you ever seen a doorstop? Why be bothered to stop and interrupt your whole Sunday morning when we can just shove this little rubber piece under the door to do the stopping for us? Why be bothered? Doorstops don't smile. Doorstops don't see you. They can't offer a warm hug. They can't cry with you if, if you are going through something tough. Nobody is honored by a doorstop simply because someone couldn't be bothered to stop and say, good morning. Where are you using a doorstop and declining invitations for holy moments with others? Where are you tempted 
to believe the lie that somehow your life, your tasks are more important and can't be bothered to stop for someone else. Maybe even someone God is sending your way. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's just true that we are a selfish people. Humans are selfish. And Jesus came to reveal to us a way more beautiful story, way bigger than ourselves, a story that we're hardwired to live. But when opportunities come our way to live out that story, to lift others up rather than pushing them away, often we, we simply find ourselves in this rut, this rut of just doing our own thing. God saw us not as obstacles, but as sons and daughters. And he interrupted the harmony of heaven so that you and I could be a part of it too. That's the whole story of the Bible. That God didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus brought heaven down. No climbing necessary because we couldn't ever climb high enough to begin with. We are all the desperate ones, without hope, except, except for maybe a, just a tug of his robe. And then we find that his demeanor toward us is that of compassion, not annoyance. So the death that he died to give us life that's not powered by selfishness, but rather the ultimate selflessness of the Savior, that death gives us the power to walk into and entertain a thousand little deaths every single day. That's what it feels like when you're interrupted. It's a momentary death of your plans. Death to our plans, death to our desires. When someone tugs at you, or me, on our way to do something else, a little death occurs. But we can afford it. We can afford it because the ultimate death has already been taken care of. And all we have is eternal life within us, and there's enough for everyone. Maybe, just maybe, the antidote to our selfishness here is to find ourselves like the woman tugging at the robe of our Savior. When do you find yourselves desperate for Jesus, at his feet 
tugging at his robe. After all, he's the one whose heart stopped for us in death. So when we get a tug from someone else, we're prepared to respond to the invitation by stopping ourselves and giving a moment, just a moment of our life away, the life only found in Jesus. Maybe this week, we simply have our eyes wide open. Maybe we just have our eyes open, eyes ready to see every interruption as a possible invitation, invitation to open the door for someone else to experience God through us. Who might interrupt you this week? Who might it be? And will you be courageous enough to even ask God where in your life he wants to interrupt you? What if we were all to wake up tomorrow and simply ask God, would you interrupt me today? And would you help me to see the invitation? Let's pray together now. Jesus, I pray that simply you would find us at your feet this week, desperate for you. Find us at our feet. I don't know what that looks like for every individual, but would, would you find us at your feet? Find us then ready to receive those who you may be sending us each day. Ultimately, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the ultimate interruption that we might be included in your story, included in the kingdom. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. We thank you. Amen.